Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. If you really wanted to donate your eggs so a struggling couple could have a baby, but your partner was reluctant to do so due to the potential impact that may have on your lives in the future, would you still go ahead and do it? Or would you hold off? Now that we are a family, are my eggs my eggs or are they our eggs? Today we hear from someone who's in this very situation and a lawyer who not only knows her stuff where it comes to donation and surrogacy, but has actually donated her eggs too to find out who really owns those eggs from the fallopian tube to parenthood. But first, news headlines for Tuesday, March 21. An anti-trans rally is still set to go ahead outside Tasmania's Parliament House three days after a similar event in Victoria saw them joined by neo-Nazis. Activists and politicians have called on the anti-trans rights activist Kelly J. Keane Mitchell's speaking tour be stopped after scenes outside Victoria's Parliament House on Saturday where about 30 men dressed in black performed the Nazi salute and yelled out offensive trans slurs. Victoria's Attorney-General described the behaviour as disgraceful and cowardly, noting the salute was being used to incite hatred. Equality Tasmania and the state's Greens urge decision-makers to stop the Tasmanian leg of the event, but intervention has been ruled out, with both the Upper House President and Lower House Speaker saying the lawns of Parliament House have always been a gathering place for democratic activity, including protests of all kinds. Claims now former US President Donald Trump that he's about to be arrested seem to be firming after workers erected fences around the Manhattan courthouse where the charges would be filed. In shades of the Capitol building riot, Trump called on his supporters to protest if the charges overpaying $130,000 in hush money to a former porn star to deny they had a relationship in the lead-up to the 2016 election were filed. The charges would be a historic first with no current or former president ever having been criminally charged. The Ukraine Foreign Ministry spokesman is calling on Chinese President Xi Jinping to help end the war after the leader touched down in Russia for meetings with Vladimir Putin. Oleg Nikolenko says they're following the Chinese president's visit to Russia closely and they expect Beijing to use its influence on Moscow to make it put an end to the aggressive war against Ukraine. Putin welcomed Xi to the Kremlin overnight, briefly saying Russia was open to negotiations about Ukraine. 
In Australia's latest data breach, Latitude Financial have confirmed that the amount of customer data taken from them by hackers may grow. The cyber attack was made public last week, the company confirming that around 330,000 customers' driver's licences, passports and Medicare numbers had been taken. Latitude saying they're likely to uncover more stolen information, affecting both current and past customers as well as applicants, calling on people to remain vigilant, saying they'll never contact and request passwords. The attack is being investigated by the Australian Federal Police. Media mogul Rupert Murdoch is set to marry for the fifth time, now engaged to former San Francisco police chaplain Anne Leslie Smith. Murdoch met Smith, whose late husband was country singer, radio and TV executive Chester Smith, back in September at his vineyard in California. He reportedly called her two weeks later, the pair spending the last six months together, before the 92-year-old presented her with a diamond ring with a promise to marry in the Northern Hemisphere summer in a few months' time. Murdoch says he was very nervous and dreaded falling in love, but that he knew it would be his last, or that it better be, and that he's very happy. The marriage is unlikely to have any bearing on the Murdoch family businesses. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. How do you feel about becoming an egg donor? According to IVF Australia, almost 4% of pregnancies in this country are produced using donor eggs, with couples hoping it will overcome things like genetic issues, diseases like cancer that may have impacted ovaries, hitting premature menopause or poor egg quality. But because we're not like other countries where people can pay someone to donate an egg or become a surrogate for another couple, if you don't have a family member or friend willing to donate, it can be really hard to track down someone to donate an egg anonymously. IVF Australia says they do have a bank of donors, but the numbers are very limited. Tori is very happy with her little family, her, her husband and their two children. She's 35 and only recently realised that she has only a little time left to be able to donate an egg if she wants to. Her own health issues when she was younger, prompting her to look into it. It was a couple of factors that sort of came together. Firstly, when I was 22, 23, I was told that I was infertile. I had nine years of amenorrhea, so I didn't have a period due to various reasons. But it didn't hit me that hard at the time because at 22, I didn't actually want a kid. And it was a bit hard to see the future anyway. So I thought that really sucks, but I'm not going to think about it too much. Then I met my husband and we were chatting and the thought of him not being a dad really made me quite sad because he really wanted to. And, you know, lo and behold, miracles happen. My body sort of managed to reverse it. And we now have two. And I am 35 now and I sometimes look at them and think, gosh, I got lucky. And not everyone gets to have that. So I just, you know, out of curiosity, started doing a bit of a deep dive into the options in Australia and realized how hard it was. So I thought I'd just give the clinic a call. And it was more my curiosity, I guess. And the further I looked into it, the more I saw that actually egg donation anonymously to a random couple isn't something that happens very often. It's usually a sister or a friend or something like that. It's not that often that a woman will donate her eggs what if just a few months of, you know, me potentially feeling a bit of discomfort with hormones and the counseling sessions and all that stuff you go through for a lifetime of someone else's happiness? Isn't that amazing? 
she did a bit of research and then took her idea to her husband to see how he felt about it. I mean, initially he thought, if this is something you want to do, yeah, that sounds interesting. I understand where you're coming from, like giving someone that gift would be an incredible feeling. And then I mentioned to him that there is one thing that when the child or children, because, you know, let's say I donate 10 eggs or however many they have, they can have siblings. When they turn 18, they have a legal right to find out who their biological parent is, the DNA, and they have the right to then contact that family. That's where he sort of stopped his thinking and was like, well, hang on, how does that actually work? Is someone going to come knocking on our door in 18 years and tell our kids that their siblings, like, what would that do to them mentally? And then I said, but I really want to do this. You know, these are my eggs. And then he said, that's true. It's your body. It's your eggs. And I support you 100%. You can do what you want to do, but there could be consequences for our family. So would Tori consider explaining it to her children so it wouldn't come as a surprise if and when that child ever decided to reach out to their donor? I don't know, to be honest with you. Like, there's part of me that wants to say, why not? I mean, the world is changing so rapidly anyways with what's considered norm and what's not. But I feel like I'd love to say to my kids, hey, mommy did this nice thing years ago. There was a couple who really wanted to have one of you and mommy helped them. And that child is out there now living their best life and is so, so wanted. To become an egg donor here in Australia, you need to be aged between 21 and 38 and have no medical or genetic conditions. There are slight differences between the states and territories regarding the legal ins and outs. As we mentioned, across Australia, the donation must be altruistic, so you cannot be paid to donate an egg. But the recipients can assist with any reasonable expenses associated with the donation, like the IVF process. A child born from a donated egg, sperm or embryo is deemed to be the child of the birth parents. Donors are under no legal or financial obligation to the child. The biggest difference seems to be the way in which the records are handled and by who. But those records of that child's donor are accessible to them once they turn 18. So who owns the egg to be donated? Who owns it once it's been donated? And can you change your mind after you've done it and before a child has been conceived? Sarah Jefford is a family creation, surrogacy and donor conception lawyer. She is also the author of More Than Just a Baby, a guide to surrogacy for intended parents and surrogates. And she produces the Surrogacy podcast. Sarah, you're more than just a lawyer who specialises in this area. You too have donated your eggs. How was that experience for you? Yeah, so I was an IVF mum. My first boy is an IVF baby and then we conceived my second son without IVF. That was a bit of a surprise. But I knew that because we were treated for male factor infertility that I actually had a lot of eggs and thought, well, perhaps I'll become an egg donor to help somebody else. And so after my second son was born, I thought, I'll go and do that. And I found recipients through a Facebook group called Egg Donation Australia. I was on there for a little while. I got to know a few people and then I offered to a couple who live only about 10, 15 minutes away from me. And they already had a child that was donor conceived, but their donor had moved overseas. So they were looking to grow their family and they were looking for an egg donor. So I offered to them and we had lots of chats about our expectations and what I expected for a future relationship. I really only had a couple of criteria. One was that I wanted to donate to people 
people that were local to me because I felt that that was more convenient in terms of not wanting to travel interstate for treatment and also that I wanted to know that they would share knowledge of the donation with their child, with their future child. I didn't want it to be a secret or to be something that they found out by mistake as an adult, for example. And we were all on the same page about that. They had some things that they wanted to ask me about expectations and future relationships as well. And then we went to their IVF clinic, which also happened to have been my old IVF clinic, so that was convenient. And I did an IVF cycle for them. So essentially I did all the IVF, but they got to keep the eggs and inseminate them with the sperm from the husband and then use them as they wished. And they went on to have a child who will now be about six years old. So yeah, it was good. It was a really positive experience. I think the worst for me is really just the IVF treatment that that can be, you know, it can make you feel unwell or moody or cranky and bloated and all of that. But it's so short lived that you know that you're doing a good thing for somebody else. And that's a small inconvenience in that context. Can I ask you some of the details around the agreement that you do have with this couple about future relationships with that child or what their expectations are? And did that have to be drawn up as a legal document? So egg donation is perhaps a little bit different from sperm donation that might be done outside of a clinic in that everything was managed by the clinic and we signed consent forms so that they know that they can go off and use the embryos. There are laws in Victoria that have recently changed around what I could do with my consent and whether I would remove it or withdraw it in the future. Some of the agreements really for me were you go off and create a baby if that's what you'd like and I'm here to have contact with your child as you decide but also in that context of them understanding knowledge about who their donor was and the connections with me and my children and that was really it. And we had, I guess, what would be called a memorandum of understanding, which I drafted, but only because I'm a lawyer and it's really not a requirement to have anything in writing. It was really just about putting our thoughts in writing about future relationships. And I wanted to give them some security that I wasn't going to put any other conditions on this. That it was very much their decisions to make around parenting and that we had a mutual understanding that contact would be by agreement, but also understanding that that child would, you know, know who I was and have access to me, I guess, that as they grow up, that they can come and knock on the door and have conversations with me and get to know me and my children. And I felt very strongly about that being important that they did have access to me, not just for, say, medical history, for example, but understanding that piece of the puzzle of how their genetics came to be and who this person was that was their egg donor. And how did you explain that to your children, Sarah, that they potentially have a half-sibling out there or they do have a half-sibling out there somewhere, but they're not part of their lives unless they choose to be? So I guess we were kind of lucky because we had done IVF, so we could talk about how babies are made in lots of different contexts. But we also had friends who, a little boy who had two mums. So my children already had some context of different makeups of family. And then we got a book called What Makes a Baby, which talks about eggs and sperm and uterus as being how babies are made. And it allows you to sort of create the story for the child. So eggs from mummy, sperm from daddy, mummy grew the baby in the uterus. And then in that context, talking about, well, mummy's going to be an egg donor, which means mummy's eggs and sperm from this other person will be made so that this other person can grow the baby and that's how babies are made. So that explaining then, I guess it's been an ongoing conversation as they've gotten older, but explaining that they have a connection with this child because they were made with mummy's egg and that other child was also made with mummy's egg. So therefore there's what we call a genetic connection and that sometimes we might talk about that being like half siblings 
but that that child has a mum and a dad and that's not me. So mummy has a role in that child's life but not as a mum or a dad. Sarah, who owns the eggs? When we're talking about donating, and I don't know if this is different state by state and territory across Australia, but if you're in a partnership with somebody or you're married to somebody, is it both of your option to say no to donating an egg? Because I'm guessing if you're a single person, you don't need a second person's okay to go ahead and donate. Where do the laws stand around who gets to make that decision about egg donation? Oh, that's a really good question. So in egg and sperm donation, it very much comes down to the person that owns the gametes, owns the eggs or the sperm. And I could have donated without my husband's consent, absolutely. There would be some questions, I think, at the clinic about, you know, what's his position and why isn't he supportive? But ultimately, if I wanted to do this, it would be me signing off. He doesn't have any power to tell me what I can do with my body. But that said, you wouldn't want to be doing it necessarily without the consent of your partner or without their involvement because this is a big issue. I know that some partners feel quite strongly about their partner donating their genetics to another family because I guess there's some sense of this is a story where we make a family together and if you're helping somebody else make a family, that feels like you're kind of going out of that circle of what we've created here, that somebody else will share genetics with our children and that's not our child. So that can be quite confronting and people have lots of thoughts about that and there's no wrong or right answer. I would say that most donors that go ahead do have the support of their partners. From a legal perspective, it's not crucial that they're involved or consenting. Once the eggs are donated, the laws, they do vary across the states, but generally speaking, once the eggs are donated and they're fertilised, they are no longer the eggs of the donor and there's very limited things that the donor can do to withdraw consent about the use of those embryos. Now, Sarah, you've already given us a ton of information, but you have basically written the guide to this process and surrogacy as well. What advice would you give people who are having these initial conversations about stepping into the space of donating eggs? What are the things you think are really important to know before you really launch on this journey? I think probably number one is that there is no such thing as anonymous donation anymore. That doesn't exist in Australia. Even if you don't know the people you're donating to, the person born will have the ability to find out information about their donor. There are very strict laws around whether or not they can turn up on the doorstep without consent. But the fact is that we want them to be able to access information about their donor and their donor-conceived siblings as well, because that's actually where we should be I guess, centering the rights. We should be talking about those people, these future people born, rather than rights of donors or rights of their parents. And that hasn't always been the case. So that's number one, is that if you're donating, assume that you will be known to this person in some capacity. And then I guess it's important to talk about what are your expectations about future relationship, if anything. Do you have any deal breakers? I know that the recipients I donated to were concerned about whether I had particular opinions about terminating a pregnancy and would that impact whether I would donate to them? Did I have views on whether they raised the child in a religious household or other things that I wouldn't necessarily be able to influence, but would it change my opinion about whether I donated to them? And then also talking to a fertility counsellor through a clinic if necessary to talk through those feelings and any concerns, because they will be able to talk it through about what to expect and allay any concerns about, you know, somebody turning up and asking for child support, for example, which isn't really going to happen. For Tori, she's still trying to figure out where to go from here, but she's booked in for her first counselling session later this week. I'd like to have done all the counselling sessions first so that my husband can be 100% across it. And if he's keen and 
this is actually something that he's not just okay with, but actually excites him to do this for someone else, then I would 100% do it. Like the hormones, the pain, all that stuff that comes with IVF doesn't scare me at all. Because like I said, it's a few months of discomfort for someone else's lifetime of happiness. I would 100% do it if I had him on board 100%. And if we both felt really good about it, not just okay, but good about it. The Quickie is produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon. And if there's a news story you'd like us to check out in a little more detail for you, it's really easy to get in touch. We're on Twitter and Instagram, and you can always send us an email, thequickie at mamamia.com.au. Big thanks to anyone listening who's become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. And of course, you'll be supporting our team of female journalists and producers. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes.